Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Welcome to Mainstream by Pixel Sift. My name is Gianni, and joining me on this episode of Mainstream is Daniel Ang. Daniel Ang, what's happening with you? Hey, what's up, Gianni? Not much. Just been playing uh, some Last of Us recently, and uh, other than that, just taking it easy. What about you? Yeah, I've been checking out a brand new game called uh, No Straight Rose, which if you listen to this episode right on, on PlayStation and on the PC. Now, if you've never listened to an episode of Mainstream before, or maybe you haven't come across what Pixelsift does, we make our name delivering some of the best indie games coverage for Gamesman around in Australia and around the world. And on Mainstream, we talk about those high-profile blockbuster games we've been playing recently. Uh, and you pretty much don't get it much bigger than the high-profile blockbuster game of Last of Us Part Two. So, shall we jump in? Let's do it. Australia's best video game podcast. Subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Daniel, I've just landed on planet Earth. I've never heard of The Last of Us before. Can you tell me what is this game? Uh, give us a brief overview of the setting and tell us, set us up to talk about The Last of Us Part 2. Okay, let's let's go straight into it. So, The Last of Us, uh, the original game, came out back in 2013 and was developed by Naughty Dog. And the premise of the entire world goes something like this. So, in the real world right now, there's this fungus or disease or parasite called the cordyceps. Um, it's found in, like, South America. And basically, the way that it works is that it, it's released by spores and it goes into insects and it starts to take over their brain and control them and do a bunch of really crazy, disgusting things. And the developers of the game have just asked, what if that jumped to humans? And what would that actually look like if it went into our society? Um, so as far as a post-apocalyptic setting goes, it's very interesting because it's something pretty tangible. It's already existing in our real world. And it just takes it that next step further to ask, what would people be going through if this made the leap? And so in the first game, um, you play as a fellow named Joel, and it's set 20 years after the initial apocalypse. So the world has had time to, I wouldn't say adjust to the apocalypse, more like fall to the apocalypse, but people are still living and people are around different communities and everything's torn and destroyed. And because of that, the setting itself, just picture a city and picture what it would look like if all the upkeep for vegetation and all those kinds of things just didn't happen for 20 years. So if you've seen the film I Am Legend, for instance, there's a famous scene where Will Smith is walking through Times Square and there's just a giant, it's almost like a savannah. There's tall grass everywhere, 
trees, roots, that sort of thing. So I want you to picture that when you think of the world of The Last of Us. It must be really interesting because when the first Last of Us game came out, the idea of a global pandemic uh, was sort of a more of a hypothetical one. Maybe not for everyone who's listening in the world. People in places of Asia would have experienced SARS and uh, and things like that. But it is something that is happening right now in the world and we're getting uh, alerts like I saw one the other day saying that the US recorded 40,000 new COVID-19 cases in one day. Does it feel weird playing this game now in the moment that we're happen to find ourselves right in it's it is different yeah i mean I, I agree with you there because when i played the first game i was just finishing up high school because I, I, like i mentioned earlier it came out in 2013 so it's been a while since then and for it to go back into that world you know of joel and ellie and the clickers which i'll get into later on when we talk about the game um for me i can't really say i've been thinking about it too much as in what's happening right now it's just because when I pull back into the story and in, in in the world, I suppose there are elements like you you know you see infected people walking around and you see especially like all the different quarantine zones and stuff. There are a few things where I'm like, okay, I've actually I'm seeing this on the news now. Like obviously not to this extent, but it definitely has a it's a weird. I wouldn't even say commentary because they didn't know this was going to happen when they did the first game. Do you know what I'm saying? So they went back into it, and I suppose now with our new lens looking at it. I don't know. It's it is it is strange. I will say that. I saw a sign in there that talked about how using masks and making sure to wash your hands to control the spread of cordyceps and I was like, "Man, I have seen <laughs> that sign just walking around in the last, you know, in over the last couple of months and it seems to be quite a quite an eerie moment." Um for people mm. who haven't played the game, what what is the game? How does it actually play? What would you describe it as? It's um it's a bit of there's a couple of different main gameplay pillars i would say so there's the exploration there's combat and there's more of the story i guess sort of stuff like little quests and everything that you can do um and the puzzle mechanics as well it's it's actually a bigger part in the second game which i was uh, surprised to see it was a good good change from the first one um but essentially it's a very story driven game so when you're playing the last of us i'll, I'll talk about the last of us 2 now now um, you play as Ellie, and in the first game, Ellie and Joel had a very... Uh, that was the focus of the game, was their relationship. And now it asks the question, four years later, Ellie's a little bit more grown up, and she's on this quest of vengeance to find a bunch of people that have wronged her and exact you know, um, revenge against them. And playing as Ellie, compared to Joel in the first game, uh, she's very, very different. So Joel can walk around and tank a lot of shots and just run up to people and beat their face in essentially with melee weapons and all that kind of stuff. But Ellie's a lot more stealthy. So there's a lot more stealth in this game. And they've included extra things that you can do that you couldn't as Joel. For example, because Ellie's physically smaller, she can squeeze through little gaps between doors or uh, if you're at a supermarket, for instance, shelves, you can crawl underneath them and you can go under cars and hide. And there's you know different parts of uh, the encounters that you have with either infected people or bandits. And it's a lot more using the environment in this game. Um, apart from that, the actual combat, um, when you're actually exploring and, and walking around and, and looking at all the different buildings and that sort of thing, there's a lot of, how do I want to say, there's like crafting elements to it. So you're scavenging, you're walking around, picking up ammo and looting things and putting together better weapons and that sort of stuff. And 
all of it is done really seamlessly because again, like I mentioned, the story is the main focus here and it always will be. And it moves you from area to area in a very seamless sort of way. And it's up to you, the player, to think, okay, do I want to continue down and go straight to the story or do I want to spend at least five or 10 minutes in this area and try and find better loot and maybe encounter a couple of hostile people along the way. Um, but in The Last of Us 2, there are several new types of infected. Uh, one of them is called the Shambler and another one's the Stalker. So the Shambler is, I'm only about, I think, 14 hours in the game, so I'm not sure if it's explained where they come from or whatever. But they release a bunch of spores and corrosive gas if you get too close to them. So it provides different opportunities in combat to think about things and how you want to actually tackle it. So you can't just run up to them and start beating them you know, with a baseball bat because they're just going to launch gas at you everywhere. And they are really tough to take down as well. So. I remember one time I got trapped in a basement and there were like two shamblers in there. And I was feeling pretty confident. You know, I just upgraded my skills and I was like, okay, I got a shotgun. I can do this. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> it does not work that way. Um, so usually for them, I just tend to avoid them completely. And that's totally an option. Um, sometimes it just means you won't be able to thoroughly loot an area which might have valuable gear, but that's the trade-off. It's like, do I want to spend resources to fight them so I can find other resources or do I just get the hell out of dodge? And that's really up to you. And the second type uh, that I've encountered so far that's new to The Last of Us 2 is the Stalkers. So in the game, Gianni, there's this mechanic called the Listen Mode. And if you hold down R1, Ellie will kind of look down and start to listen to things in the world. And it it's kind of like a detective vision in uh, Batman Arkham Asylum, for instance. So you kind of get an idea about where the enemies are. And in the game, it's represented by like this white sort of mark through walls. So you know that somebody is on the other side or maybe above you if you're in a house, for instance. And the stalkers don't work like that. So you actually can't hear them. And all up to this point in the game, I'm like relying on listen mode so much because it's, you know, I can see enemy paths roughly where they are and stuff. And the stalkers are so creepy because they they seem more intelligent and they know where you are and they kind of like, well, they stalk you, right? So they poke their head out around a corner and they see you and then they just scurry away and like call three of their friends and they'll come back and just watch you. And then once you get past a certain point, they'll jump out and all start attacking you. So you have to be really aware of your surroundings at all times during the game. And I think that's why the environments and the combat and everything mixed together just works so well. It's interesting because when you think about the previous game, you could take your time, you could puzzle it out like a puzzle game. Uh, and you can spend uh, as much time as it t to set yourself up for the perfect positioning. Um, but it sort of sounds like there's sort of elements there that means that you are just forced out of that really strong positioning in order to, to move through the game. 100%. And uh, sometimes too, like a, a new enemy type is uh, dogs, like just hound dogs that will try and sniff you out. And when you use the listen mode again, you can kind of see that they've got your scent and you have to lose them and go into grass or run away. And so I think it's really provides interesting opportunities because it's not just all stealth all the time. Sometimes if you get spotted, for instance, it, the game's not over. Like you, you have to adapt to it. And I really love that because sometimes, you know, you'll be crawling through like thick reeds and somebody will be like, over here, she's over here. And you'll pop up and like ditch a brick at them and just start running and squeeze just hide and then they'll lose you again and i love that fast paced moment when you're like oh crap am i gonna make it and you just run and you really feel like in that situation you know like what would you do and doing that improvis uh, improvisational sort of 
gameplay to it and think, okay, I've got these weapons, I've got these skills, I can put them all together and just do something. It it really works. I think one of the things that um, this game does really well in the previous one as well is because it's like a, a third-person uh, action game, there's sort of like climbing and sort of platforming elements to it as well. Um, and a lot of it is sort of navigating through a big space. There's lots of storytelling that just happens in the world as well. There's nothing that uh, it doesn't have to be explicit. Like you can see uh, the way that certain houses have been left and you get a little bit of story or you might, as you said, sort of do a bit of exploration of the world and you can find these little notes that give you these little snippets of, um, of what's happened. I remember I walked into a house um, and there was a a, 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 a children like a, a kid had written a note to Santa saying, "Can you get me a dog because it will help me uh, make my da- dad feel safer, um, so that we can protect from the monsters that are outside." And you know, you in the context of everything, you know, there's these little moments which is just a tiny little bit of extra story of sort of that human experience within this world. And, and that person, you don't know what has happened to them, what where they are down the track, but you get this little snapshot of their life. One thing I, I really love, actually, uh, just on that on on that note, is um, Ellie will say stuff contextually that really makes you feel like okay, she's actually existing in the world because it kind of bridges that gap between us, the player, and the characters in the world. Because, for example, sometimes you have uh, somebody following you or whatever uh, as part of the story, and if you decide to go off the beaten path, they'll actually say something like oh, okay, I'll, I'll give you five minutes then, and they'll just wait outside. And it's stuff like that that makes me feel like us as the player, everything that we do makes sense for Ellie to do as well in the world. And so when she does pick up notes and she's reading it and there's uh, one a little bit later on in the story where there's a bunch of notes that tell a story in this in this neighborhood about what this particular person was going through. And when you find the last note that kind of wraps up the story, Ellie will say something like, oh, Jesus, and like comment on the fact that she as us, the player, discovering this for the very first time. I love that kind of stuff, the environmental storytelling. Um, what, are, what are some of the moments that have really stuck out to you when playing this game? Um, we've heard a lot about in the reviews that there are some pretty uh, full-on, uh, emotionally difficult challenges in this game, but what really stuck out to you, something that you're going to remember for years to come? Oof, I think... Um, yeah, the the emotional stuff for sure. Because even in the first game, um, I got teary like a bunch of times throughout the story, just because of how powerful the storytelling was. And especially credit to um all of the actors and stuff that are in it, and actually you know doing the motion capture for for the characters. Uh, in this game, it is very emotionally heavy. It's very dark as well. Like the story is a lot more darker than the first one. Um, and Ellie's quest for vengeance is taken on like a really really difficult path and i think for me it's just the way that i'm feeling when i'm playing the game because it's a very it's very strange when you go from literally crying in in a particular part in the game or whatever to maybe an hour later and it's a really beautiful poignant moment where people are just looking out at the vista and talking about life or something like that and so i think it has a lot of different it's very nuanced it's a very nuanced game and it has a lot of different moments that stand out to me in particular honestly just i I don't know there's there's one uh, there's one point where you can play a guitar like ellie walks into a music shop and there's a guitar there and she picks it up and she starts singing take on me um by aha and that sort of uh going through fighting clickers and bandits and stuff and she still finds this little moment for rest and to reflect on things and to sing and still generally be 
I guess, human, right? In this really, what would otherwise be dire circumstances really speaks to me on that because it's still showing that no matter how hard things get, no matter how dire situations can be, there's always room for beauty. Who would you recommend this game for? Do you think you could come into this without the, the context of the first first game? Is Who would enjoy this game? Oh, I, I I wouldn't recommend it. Like, if you haven't played the first game, or at least if you don't know the story of the first game, a lot of the stuff I feel like that would enrich your experience with this would be lost in you. A lot of uh, information in the game that is kind of contingent on your understanding of the world already, it kind of reintroduces you to the world, but it doesn't go into why this happened or what's going on or who's this character or why does this person have a particular relationship with this other person. There's a lot of stuff there that is maybe because um, I, I, my sister's boyfriend right now like has been watching a little bit here and there and he, ha- he doesn't know anything about the first game. And there's a lot of small things that I pick up on that he just doesn't understand. Um, but if you don't do the story, I would say as far as gameplay wise, go, uh, if you're really interested in story driven games and especially post-apocalyptic semi-open games, it's not fully open world, but it is much more open than the first one. And so if you like exploring and doing that kind of stuff and just existing within a world, I would say definitely give The Last of Us 2 a shot. And you said that there's a couple of really interesting, speaking of those little bits and pieces you can pick up if you've got the context, that there's some nice uh, Easter eggs in there that people can discover. Yeah, for sure, actually. So in, in this game, there's like collectibles and stuff and they come in the form of either comic books or trading cards and, and all that kind of thing. And one that I found uh, that I thought was quite clever was it was this villain character named Dr. Uckman. Uh, and if you know the director of The Last of Us, his name is Neil Druckmann, Dr. Uckman. And so like they drew him as like an evil villain. And on the back, there's a little bit of backstory and that sort of thing. So I, I really like and appreciate those small Easter eggs for fans that know more about, say, the development or whatever. Um, even at the beginning, as Ellie and you're walking through this town, uh, there's a gentleman playing a banjo sitting down. And as soon as I saw him, I recognized this is the music composer for the game and because I've seen on YouTube a bunch of clips performing uh, the, the score live and they've actually modeled him and put him in the game. So it's, it's like small stuff like that, uh, which I think is uh, is pretty cool. Uh, it's definitely very, very cool. It's it, it, This is one that is going to be a, a heavier game. So maybe it's one to think about um, if you want to play this game. Maybe do a bit of a re- research for you because there's some moments in there that I know um, that some people have found quite difficult to play. So it's, it might be one if you haven't, if you played the last game or you're not maybe in the, in the right headspace to play this fully, just have a bit of a research before you jump into it. But by all in uh, you know measures, it's supposed to be quite an experience uh, to play it. Um, it's out now on the PlayStation 4 uh, if you want to check it out. This is Mainstream by Pixel Sift. So Gianni, you've been playing No Straight Roads and going a little bit uh, away from The Last of Us into something that's very bright and colourful and musical. Uh, what is No Straight Roads? Yeah, so No Straight Roads is a, a game developed by a Malaysian studio uh, called Metronomic, um, where you basically are one of the last rockers in the world. You're a fan of rock and roll, uh, you play as May, uh, and you are... Uh, basically trying to fight out against the trend uh, of electronic dance music or EDM. And EDM has basically taken over this city called Vinyl City, and every part of the world is controlled by that. And May 
hopes for a world where indie rock and rock and roll can be have an equal footing uh, in this sort of fantasy world. It's it's um, it's a game that is a sort of a, it's an action with a it's an action game with a rhythm element in it. How much rhythm? is in the game so like we can go all the way to guitar hero which yep. is obviously all rhythm is it is it that far or is it just a little bit before no it is not it's not completely all the way to that so there's elements where you need to use the rhythm for example um each of the districts of vinyl city are controlled by a different boss um and you know the bosses uh you know, like DJ Subatopic Supernova, um, and there's another character called Sayu, which is kind of quite obviously a uh, like a, it's a, it's like a virtual pop idol, so a Hatsune Miku sort of style character. Um, <laughs> and the boss fights that you have, they will move to a rhythm. Uh, there'll be a music and soundtrack to it, and you can kind of plan what you're doing in the game based on that rhythm, and you. Uh, if you don't follow the rhythm, then you're very likely to get badly hurt. And the way that the boss um, battles work out, you kind of this sort of open world experience as well, where you move between the different districts. But when you get into the boss area, there's usually like a little um, initial area that you need to kind of move through before you get to the boss fight. Um, so it's sort of a staging area. And that's very rhythm-based as well. Like there'll be moving platforms that go along to the beat. So you need to make sure you jump onto those platforms at the right time or walls will open and close. Um, or there'll be lasers that are shot at you at, this, at certain beats and you have to be able to dodge or, or reflect them back. Um, and so what, what with, happens with that is that you need to be able to make sure that you hit the beats at the right moment because that'll give you the best opportunity to survive. Because health in this game is not auto uh, you don't auto-regenerate at all. Um, it's uh, sort of pickup based. Um, and the biggest thing about playing this game is you want to be able to make sure that you have the best position to be in by the time you face the boss. Because usually in the boss fights, there are sort of limited abilities, for you, limited opportunities for you to, to recover your health. So by listening to the beat, by following the, exp the, the way that the game is played uh, and sort of going along with the music that's in it, um, then you kind of have the best opportunity to defeat the boss. Now, I wouldn't say that the... The gameplay is actually particularly tricky. Um, there's only sort of a limited number of things you can do. You can sort of jump, you can attack, you can fire a sort of a, a musical blast, a sort of a ranged attack as well. Um, but you need to kind of uh, combine all of those together with special attacks and there's upgrades that you can put onto your onto your guitar or onto your drumsticks uh, to sort of give you sort of limited time bonuses or, or further attacks as well. And I'm guessing with all the different districts and stuff, it has a unique flavor, right? And each of the bosses are slightly different to one another. Is that yeah? Is that accurate? Well, well, the ones that we, we I've sort of experienced so far, um, they are very uh, so like DJ Subatomic Supernova has uh, you know very space aesthetic, and when you're fighting him, uh, he's got he basically almost has like a black hole for a face. Uh, it's kind of hard to describe. <laughs> oh, he's cool. A, he's got like a hoodie over the top with headphones, and then he's got an orb for a face um, that, that is like a, a black hole and he's like this giant <laughs> robot looking dude but when you fight him in space there's all these like asteroid fields there's planets that you are moving sort of um, sort of orbits around the boss in a sort of central area and you need to kind of attack those planets to build up enough um, uh, uh, ammo effectively to shoot your ranged attack at the boss who's sitting in the middle because you can't directly attack him uh, but when you go into the um, the Sayu world um which is uh, the virtual idol who is a, a very cute uh, kawaii-style um, mermaid character, a digital mermaid. Uh, all of her world is almost <laughs> like um, 
a bit like a how would you what to describe? It's almost like a synth waves world with lots of crazy elements all laid over the top of um, you know like a very ocean aesthetic as well. So very beach punk that sort of style. So it kind of all meshes together really really nicely in these sort of overarching worlds. And the characters are really quite funny. And I think this the style of it as well has a really interesting um, sense of humor as well. There's a lot of the sort of uh, sort of jokes in it based on people who obviously had experience with playing uh, with being in bands and all of that sort of thing and then seeing <laughs> and and kind of seeing these electronic artists kind of uh, take over the world and try to hoping for something that had had gone past it's very sort of almost like 90s grunge aesthetic on on one end and then very like clean and and shiny and uh, neon lights on the other end so just a big clash of two musical genres and you know with indie rock and punk and all that sort of stuff the whole premise of it is you know sticking it to the man right and so with edm and you know corporate and all that kind of stuff there's a lot of uh, great opportunities for contrast as far as gameplay and styles as you just mentioned and is there anything that stood out to you any moments in the game where you were playing that you thought were particularly funny or that sort of thing yeah i really liked it and it for me it felt like i had like quite an interesting sort of um it's made by a, a malaysian developer and it sort of felt like I, I got a glimpse into what a malaysian sense of humor is like um because it is a lot of um sort of over the top moments and it i could see it sort of being pitched at a, a game that a lot of like, kids would enjoy as well um but there's some it just the the characterization it also really strongly draws from from japanese games as well um you can sort of see the 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 anime style in it as well but as it's right is that they kind of yeah it's that you kind of hit the nail on the head there there is that sort of uh, punk aesthetic fighting the man where it's like the shiny world of edm is coming up against the grungy homemade basement uh um, you know, aesthetic where you you actually live in the sewers uh, as part of your your home base, <laughs> and you've got like an un, one of the areas. I think about a bit like um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and it's almost that sort of '90s era as well. Um, you you have a a room which is an underground gig, and you have all these people in your um, in your uh, underground gig area, which that gives you the upgrades, so you sort of build up your experience there. So yeah, it's really really funny and. Um, it's it's really cool way to put together and because there is sort of like an open world element to it you can they do that really great thing where you can see like in games like mario or wherever where you you can see the abilities you will unlock down the track because there's little things that are just hidden just out of you can see them but you can't get to them yet you need to unlock the double jump in able to to get over to those areas so Right, so it's it's kind of Metroidvania-esque in that sort of regard, right? Yeah, in a 3D sort of world um, rather than sort of side-scrolling. So, yeah, it is. You, you basically exactly right. You find those elements and you upgrade them as you defeat different bosses. You'll, you'll unlock different abilities to, to be able to play, um, to explore the world in a better way. And it's sort of a, an opportunity to come back. And if somebody is, like, say, not into either indie rock or EDM, do you think they could still enjoy the game? I think so, yeah. It's just... Um, I mean, the music in it's really good, both on the EDM side and on the on the rock side as well. Um, yeah, I think it's just kind of like a fun, colourful, sort of very over-the-top um, action game uh, where you could experience it. It doesn't... It's not a very complex storyline. I think if you're... A, a, people of all ages should be able to enjoy it. Um, and it's just... It, there's opportunities in it for you to replay levels as well. So you can sort of ratchet up the difficulty and make sure you get your timings 100% right. So if you're one of those real score attack sort of players, uh, you'll be able to experience that. Or, or if you just want to play through for the storyline and, and sort of get through to this sort of cool and quirky world, um, then you can play that as well. It's also... It, the, and also... Aesthetic-wise, it kind of rem- reminds me a lot of... Um, 
Splatoon 2 in a way. I don't know why. It's just it's not exactly the same, but it's sort of grungy city feel. Um, it gives me that same all the Splatoon world. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It's got a lot of bright colors and kind of in your face and very loud. Mm. I, I like to think of it that way. Mm. Um, and I also heard that there was a couch co-op too so have you have you played it multiplayer or have you just played it uh solo i've just played it solo um but yeah there is two characters that you kind of switch between at, uh, at all times and part of the strategy of playing it in a single player experience is you basically sort of um juggle between the two characters you're, you're kind of switching to go through they've got different abilities they're better suited for certain uh uh, like uh, enemy situations um, and as you sort of switch out of your characters you can unlock an upgrade which does let you sort of passively regenerate the health of the other character so the idea is that you're kind of always switching between the two uh, but if you played in a co-op experience you'd obviously be playing um, as the two characters together um, where you'd sort of have an, an, a, you know two minds working together so that sort of balances out there so yeah it's um <clears throat> it's definitely kind of fun and I reckon if you've got a friend and you want to play it on the PlayStation or, or play it on on PC when it comes out, uh, you'll you'll really and sort of enjoy this experience. It it doesn't ask a lot of you. I think it's a fun thing. Maybe it's exactly the perfect thing you should be playing after you play a really emotionally heavy game like Last of Us. If you just need a bit <laughs> of a, a bit of a break, um, and it uh, yeah, it, it's got a, a really cool style and it's great to see. Um, I mean, some high profile names attached to it as well. Um, Juan Hasma, who's the lead game designer of Final Fantasy Fifteen. Uh, is part of it, who, who basically put this game studio together in Malaysia called Metronomic in 2017. That's No Straight Roads. Uh, it's by Metronomic. Thanks to Five Star Games and Metronomic for providing us a preview code of this game. By the time you listen to this, there will be a demo available on the Epic Games Store, so you can go and play that and check it out. Uh, and the game will be releasing a little bit later on. It's been delayed slightly uh, to the 25th of August for the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One. Uh, and it will come to Nintendo Switch as well a little bit later on down the track. Sit down for a chat with your pals in video games. This is Mainstream by Pixel Sift. Well, that's it for Mainstream uh, for this episode. Uh, it's by Pixel Sift. It's what video games the Pixel Sift team have been playing and what they've been enjoying over the last couple of weeks. My name is Gianni, and thanks to being uh, thanks to Daniel for being part of episode 15. Thanks for having me, G. Uh, that's also a big thanks to Brian Fairbanks from Salty Dog Sounds for composing the mainstream theme music. And now, Daniel, if people want to find out your very good artworks uh, that you've been posting on social media, where can they find you on Twitter and, on- and online? Ah, thank you. Uh, I'm on Twitter at, at Daniel Ang Art. Uh, same thing for Instagram. You should definitely check out Daniel's work. And, and you might know that Daniel is the one who created the, the mainstream uh, album cover art or the podcast art. If you're looking at that in your podcast player, that's Daniel's handiwork. Um, you can find me on Twitter. I am at G underscore DI underscore G. Uh, and while you're online, give Pixelsift a follow as well on social media. That's at Pixelsift on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. Just give it a search. We post a bunch of things online uh, all the time. Uh, we share great work we see and we show you stories and articles and, and much, much more. Uh, we've also got another podcast that's just called Pixel Sift. So if you search for that in your podcast player on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever you like to listen on, you'll find us there. Uh, it's an Australian podcast award-winning show. And we talk to video game developers to find out what it takes to make the games uh, that you enjoy. Uh, and we get a bit of that experience of what it's like along that journey. Uh, if you are curious about what it actually takes to put a game together. 
And we've also got heaps more for you to check out on our website. So be sure to head on over to pixelsift.com.au for videos, articles, and much more. That's pixelsift.com.au. And if you like what you heard, why not tell a mate uh, who, who you would think would like it too? So please tell them, and you can find us on any podcast player of your choice. That's it for Mainstream. Until next time, have fun. Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled.